right, let's go, let's do this. What's up, Porch? My name's JD. Uh, quick shout out to our Porch Live locations. We do this every week. Y'all help me welcome this strong from Dallas, Texas. We've got Porch Live Midland, Texas, Porch Live Boise, Idaho, and Porch Live Scottsdale, Arizona. Say hello from Dallas, Texas, everyone. Welcome them. Of course, my friends in the room, so glad that you are joining us on your Tuesday night. We are heading into night three of a series called POV. We are, we are looking at stories of Jesus in the Gospels from Bible characters' points of view. We covered uh, the disciples week one and seeing different miracles. We covered Zacchaeus last week. And before we get to tonight's character and his point of view, I wanna tell you about a point of view of mine. I'm gonna go ahead and let you in. This might be the most vulnerable thing I've ever said from stage. This is a guilty pleasure, and I wanna go ahead and just give a few disclaimers. Uh, one, I know that a lot of you men specifically are gonna to wanna to take my man card after what I'm about to say. I understand that this might resonate with more of the female audience, which I'm okay with. Someone has to go first, and I know that there are more men out there who are silent, and this is your opportunity to be able to say me too. I also wanna go ahead and say that since my college days, I have gotten a little more sanctified and like Christ, and so please save your DMs, your emails. I know this is not a Christian uh, television show, but a guilty pleasure of mine is I kind of like anything with the plot line involving vampires and werewolves. And so, I know, um, and like Twilight, I was in it, I, was, I went. But even worse, even worse, there's a show on Netflix, and I hate that it has this word in it, but Vampire Diaries. It, it's just, the, the high pitch of that scream is what I'm talking about. It's a problem. But Team Damon, Salvatore all the way. Anyways, so, I'll get to why that's relevant, because right now it's not really relevant, but, Flashback to college, I get asked to go spend my spring break in LA, and we are there in SoCal visiting a friend who went to USC, and while we're there, he's like, hey, I wanna hang out with a few of my friends, have y'all meet and connect, I'm like, that would be awesome. And so I go just another day in LA in my mind, and I meet this guy, and he was just cool from the, from the get-go. He had this like sick beard, he had this like sweet Australian accent, cool outfit, and I was like, this guy's cool. And I remember we did a lot of stuff that day. We went out to eat, went to church. I think we hit up an amusement park. I can't remember all we did, but we were bros by the end of the day, that's for sure. And so I did what bros do. I went and you know hit him up on IG after and go to find him, and his name was Nathan. And so I type in Nathan, and I end up finding him through the mutual friends, so you know, we can you know, follow for follow, like for like, all that stuff. And my eyes, I mean, I, when I saw what I saw in the bio of Nathan's Instagram, it said, Cole Michelson from The Vampire Diaries. And I was like, no way, this is the wrong guy. And I started doing some research and I had just spent the whole day with one of the main characters from The Vampire Diaries. And I was like, what in the, I mean, he had millions of followers and I was like, I have watched all six seasons twice. Like, how did I miss this? What's going on? And what I realized is I was not as much of a fan as I thought I was. I was low-key a fake fan. But actually, the real problem was is I knew Cole Michelson, you know, with the fangs, like, biting into people all the time. But I didn't know Nathan. I didn't know Nathan. 
But this whole time, someone I claimed to be a fan of, I didn't even know that he was standing right in front of me. And I start there because tonight we're talking about why you can't see Jesus clearly in your life. And I think a lot of times, because we are simply mere fans of Jesus, or we just see him from a narrative point of view, or we just see him as another Bible character, or a good thing and not the thing, so many times in life, he is right in front of us and we miss it. So many people get to the end of their life when everything comes to a head. They've chased all that the world says has to offer and they missed it because Jesus was right there every Tuesday night making himself available and they didn't even know it. Why? Because they were a fan of Jesus, but they didn't know the real Jesus. And so tonight, I wanna make sure that we know, that we know, that we know who Jesus really is. Because this may be how you view Jesus. It is the most important thing about you. Where you go when you fail and make mistakes has a lot to do with your view of Jesus. Your idea of success has a lot to do with your view of Jesus. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, if you have not read it, it's a little heady. I'm not a big like, intellectual guy, but I loved this book. I highly recommend, write it down, get it. Knowledge of the Holy. The first thing he says is, what a man or woman thinks of when he hears the word God may be the most important thing about him, and it's true. And I don't want us to spend every Tuesday night and every day with Jesus offering himself fully available right in front of us and we get to the end of our life and we miss it. And so we're gonna look at a point of view tonight from a blind man named Bartimaeus. And you might be thinking like me, so wait, we're gonna talk about a point of view from a blind man. That makes zero sense. Like what did he see? Nothing, he had no view. <laughs> and that's true, but it's also not. Because what we're gonna see in this story is this blind man saw Jesus more clearly than any other person around. And we're gonna look at an example of what it means to see Jesus clearly. So if you would, if you have your Bible, open up with me, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. If you don't have your Bible, you can read on the screens with me. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. We're gonna look at this story 
the blind beggar Bartimaeus, and we're gonna learn things that keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. Things that keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. And just right off the bat, the first thing I wanna point out is something that prohibits you from seeing Jesus clearly is that you see Jesus simply as a man rather than Lord. You see Jesus simply as a man rather than Lord. Here's how we see that. I want you to look at the differences in the two responses. This story is actually recorded out of the four gospels, which is just four different vantage points or point of views, you could say, of Jesus's life on earth. I want you to look how Luke articulates this moment in chapter 18, verse 35. So this is just a different angle on this exact story. He says, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what he meant and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. He can't see anything, but he hears like what sounds like just a stampede of elephants going by. Everyone's cheering. And he's like, yo, what's going on? And they're like, hey, it's Jesus of Nazareth. But then he doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, son of David. And right there, we should see a contrast in two different descriptions of Jesus. One, the crowd saw him as another man, but Bartimaeus saw him as the son of David. We'll get to Bartimaeus in a second. I wanna focus in on what it means by the crowd calling him Jesus of Nazareth. Today, if I were to introduce myself, I'd say, hey, I'm JD, and the first thing we do as humans in meeting someone, we wanna kinda get to know, like, what in, like, who is this person? What can I find out about them? And we start to put things attached to them, and we do that by asking two questions right off the bat. Number one, what do you do? And number two, y'all know it? Where are you from? This is the equivalent of that in this culture in the Bible. People would say name and then where they're from. That way it gives an association culturally and socially and all these different things. It attaches something to their name. And so when they say Jesus, the Nazareth, from Nazareth, they are not saying something good or something worthy to be praised. They're actually doing the opposite. How do I know that? When Jesus first enters into his ministry in John chapter one, one of the first things he starts to do is call his disciples. They were young adults like you and I. And he's calling these guys, and you have to know, at this time, Jews, they were underneath Roman captivity, and they are awaiting the day of the promised Messiah, the king of the Jews, who's gonna come and conquer Rome, and then the Jews are gonna rise to the top because of their king, the Messiah. That's what they're waiting on. They think he's going to be of a political, just high value. They think he's going to look like a king and all the things that come with the king and all the royalty. That's what he's going to look like. And he's going to come from that kind of descent. So they said, okay, we're looking for Jesus. But then whenever he calls Philip, he tells Philip to come and follow him and go and get Nathaniel. And I wanted you to look at this interaction in John chapter one. So Philip meets Jesus. Then Jesus sends him to go get Nathaniel. And Philip says this, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That should show you what people thought when you heard Jesus of Nazareth. This guy's a nobody. I think about me, it takes me a long time when people ask where I'm from because of where I'm from, to say where I'm actually from. If people are not from Texas, 
I'll say, oh, I'm from Texas. And they always wanna know. I'm like, people are so nosy these days. They're like, what part of Texas? And I'm like, Dallas. And, they're, and I'm two hours east of Dallas. And they're like, okay, well, what part of Dallas? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't wanna lie. So I'm actually in East Texas, small town. Like, oh, which one? I know, I have some relatives in East Texas. I'm like, here we go. So I say, Longview, Texas. And it, okay, Longview represents. <laughs> The thing is, they're like, oh, nice, do you know so-and-so? And then I have to say again, okay, I'm not actually from Longview. So it's like Texas, Dallas, Longview, and then I'm like, and I'm right here. And it's called Union Grove, as some call it. No. <laughs> no, no, no. When you drive into my hometown, it says Union Grove, population 461. We have one yellow blinking light. We have one gas station. We do not have a grocery store. I would ride my four-wheeler or my horse to the gas station to get milk. I'm not kidding. People would ride horses to school. At my high school graduation, 42 of us were present. That's like 10th of the population of Union Grove. And numerous of them were with child. I was one of like two or three to go to college. I was, like, you just don't get out of Union Grove, which that's nothing on Union Grove. That's just the reality of where I'm from. And so today when people see me covered in tattoos and in Dallas and all these different things, they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and the reason why is because I don't want people to know my upbringing looks like you could kill a hog on a Tuesday morning and eat it for dinner on Tuesday night. <laughs> like that's how I was raised. I mean, talk about farm to table, I'm not kidding. And so it just takes me all this time because I know the moment that people learn where I'm from, they will associate something to it. The problem is, is I'm JD. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And so when you simply see him as another man, you found yourself not seeing him clearly. If you see him just simply as Jesus of Nazareth, and I don't know what that looks like in 2022 for you. Some of you see him as Jesus calling my little Devo partner that I give him five minutes a morning with. Jesus, the guy who hangs on my Catholic grandma's portrait with blonde hair, blue eyes, petting a lamb. Or Jesus, the one that I hear about when I come in for Christmas and Easter. Jesus, the one that I grew up in a childhood Christian home hearing about, you know, yeah, Jesus, another guy, a good guy, the man upstairs, a good thing. That's what you think. I don't know what for you Jesus looks like, but if it's just simply Jesus, the Nazareth, Jesus, the man who allows bad things to happen in the world, Jesus, the one who must have allowed my parents to divorce, or Jesus, the one who wasn't there like people said he would be, Jesus, the one that the church that they claim to love, but they hurt me so deeply. If you've let experiences or anything other than God's word dictate who Jesus is to you, you don't have a clear view of Jesus. And we see here that these people simply calling him Jesus from Nazareth shows that they don't really know who he is. They see him as just another man a good thing, and therefore they were okay with Jesus just simply walking by. But who had a different response? The blind man, the man that couldn't see but simply heard the name Jesus 
we see such an act of faith that he clearly saw with his spiritual eyes, with his heart, and he understood and he professed by faith, oh, Jesus is here? I'm shooting my shot. Jesus, son of David. Y'all have to understand that at this time, this man was taking a huge chance by acknowledging Jesus as the son of David. He's using what's called messianic language, which means that he is just professing to the Jews that Jesus was the coming Messiah, which again, though, at the time, this is a really twisted and upside down way of thinking because nothing good comes from Nazareth. So how could Jesus from Nazareth be Jesus, the son of David and Abraham and the lineage of the fathers of our people. There's no way this is him, but this man, although he didn't see, he believed. And he said, Jesus, son of David. And we see, although he couldn't see, he saw Jesus and understood who he was more than anyone else around. By this proclamation of acknowledging Jesus as the son of David, what he is saying is Jesus, he's not even just the son of David, this is the son of God. The God is standing before me. And so my response is to cry out for mercy, to cry out for his name. He knew, he had a proper response because he had a right clear view of who Jesus was. His actions, he's saying to these people around, no, 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 this isn't just Jesus from Nazareth. This is Jesus from the beginning. Colossians 1.17 tells us, when it's, it's talking about who Jesus is as he is fully God and fully man, it says that he was from and before the beginning and by him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, all things hold together since the beginning. Before there was a beginning of time, Jesus was. So just to diminish his name by simply calling him Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the good guy, Jesus just another man, another religion, is to diminish who he is because right before us, you guys need to understand, this is Jesus, son of the living God. Therefore, our response should be to shout, to beg him for mercy. But this was the only man, the blind man, who had a proper view of Jesus. Sometimes I come into this place and I see our response. We're singing, we're supposed to be singing to Jesus, the son of the living God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I look around and I see people who are clearly not seeing him correctly. Because I want you to imagine when we worship, if we sing, what if he was standing in the flesh right here and you could truly see him, how would you worship differently? Yeah, you would clap, you'd lift your hands, you'd bow, you would barely be able to stop thanking him. And I'm telling you, you don't have to physically see him to respond to him spiritually. You can respond to him properly today. And this man understood, I don't have to see him to know how to respond. If this is Jesus, the son of the living God, please, Lord, have mercy on me. Some of you, when you look at your life and you wonder, where's God? Where's Jesus? Why can't I see him clearly working in my life? It's because you've made him just another good man and not Lord. To see Jesus as Lord 
is to equate him to both power and authority. To see him as all-powerful and ultimate authority. And I think a lot of us, we want Jesus, the friend of sinners, but we don't want Jesus, the Lord of all people. We want his friendship, but not his lordship. We want to be on mission, but we still want to remain master. And you just can't. If you want a clear view of Jesus, you gotta understand who he is. He is not simply Jesus from Nazareth. He is Jesus, the son of God. And because this man understood this, his response was to shout. And thankfully, he saw him right. Let's look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Here we see the second thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus clearly in our lives. You want man's approval over God's approval. The second thing that keeps you from seeing Jesus clearly is that you'd rather have man's approval over God's approval. You wanna know why? Why can't I see God working in my life? Why can't I see God moving in my life? Where is God? It's because insert approval of someone that's standing in the way of seeing him clearly. Because look at this. He began to cry out. He wanted to see and experience Jesus. And people began to rebuke him and tell him, to be silent. I don't know what rebuking and silencing looks like in your life today. I don't know what's prohibiting you from acknowledging and declaring Jesus as the son of God today. It might be your dad's approval. It might be your friends and what they think of you. It might be your followers on Instagram that if you were to retweet that tweet about Roe versus Wade and about pro-life, you don't know how people will respond at work. It might be that if you say, hey, I'm gonna use pronouns the way God intended. Hey, I'm gonna state what I believe about gay marriage. Hey, I'm going to be what God calls me to be, no matter the cost. That kind of faith, it moves mountains for you to see God work in your life. But if you are living for man's approval over God's approval, you're gonna to continue to strive and look for man to validate and satisfy what only God can. And I wanna say something to you. I think one of the biggest struggles of young adults today is loneliness. And so we make an idol of relationships and we make an idol of people at the expense of our relationship with God. And I know it's scary. I know that some of you have friend groups that you've had since you were in high school. And you think, man, if I radically change, I wanna have no one. I'm gonna be alone. I'm not gonna have any friends at work. I'm gonna be the weird guy. They're gonna talk about me, gossip about me. They're gonna say things like this. Oh, I bet you're not gonna drink tonight, you know, cause you're all Christian now. Oh, look who's too good. Or whenever they take a drink or they cuss or you know, do something, they say, are you judging me? And suddenly, these people who once claimed to be your closest friends 
are now against you because you are closer to God. And so I wanna say something very loud and clear that I had to learn the hard way. If your friends want you, but not your God, if they want you, but not your God, then one, they are not true friends. And two, your friends are probably your God. If you're okay with allowing them to say, hey, we want you, but not your God, and you keep them as friends, that tells me that your friends have sat in the throne of God. And they, you say, hey, they are more important. They can validate me. They can bring me significance in ways that God can't. Because think about this, if they were true friends, true friends celebrate. When your life gets better and is marked by peace and joy and love and all the things that come from relationship with God, if they were true friends, they should celebrate all of you. But if they start to say, hey, you're judgy now, you're different, you're a radical, Jesus freak, all these different things, what happened to you, you're boring, those are fake friends. Those aren't real friends. And if you allow that to continue and you change and you shrink your God to grow your followers or friend groups, that is why you cannot see God clearly in your life because he's not God of your life. People are. Galatians 1.10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Life is not about bowing down to the opinion and approval of others. And guys, I am the chief of this. You think it's easy to get up here as one of you, a 28-year-old guy, and tell you what God's teaching me and try to teach his word? This is a weight, and it's terrifying. I have to constantly filter what it looks like to not bow down to the approval of others. And when the enemy's really trying to work in my life, I'll experience no movement towards God because I'm afraid of what others might think. It looks like this. Man, I'm gonna write this really spiritual post that God's putting on my heart to share with Instagram, but what if people think I'm trying to be like some celebrity pastor or something? Maybe I won't share this. Or, man, people really like when David speaks. I like when David speaks. David's the director of this thing. I kind of, kind of like the understudy. And what if when the lights come up, those people that brought their friends, like I'm that guy that they're like elbow and they're like, I'm so sorry, dude, the vampire diary guy. Like I just, I, he, he ain't it. But come next week, it, they don't give him two weeks in a row. Trust me. Like, just let's just make it through. We can leave after the, you know. And I, th I think these thoughts, or I even have God giving me God-sized dreams and all these things, but what will so-and-so think? What will so-and-so think? And guys, I'm just telling you, it's a load of crap. Because I am missing out on God's best for what? Some man's opinion? So many of us, we are sitting back and we're sitting on our hands and we aren't seeing God work in our lives because we are giving people too loud a voice. And you have to realize, if you're surrounded by nothing but miserable people, miserable people want to see you miserable so they can feel less miserable about themselves. Drake said it best, people wanna see you do better till you're doing better than them. And it's true. 
And you have to wake up and realize, am I letting man's opinions trump obedience to God? Am I letting opinions trump obedience? Imagine if this man had let man's opinions trump his obedience. They said, hey, son of David, hey, shut up, shut up. Sit down, be quiet. He doesn't care about you, you blind beggar. Sit down. Imagine all that he would have missed out on. Literally, a miraculous work in his life took place because he went against man's opinions and he responded properly because he had a clear view of who Jesus was. He understood by faith, I'm going despite what anyone says, and he shouted all the louder. And some of you, your life looks like when people have tried to silence you, you've left them. When they've told you, why'd you post that? You took it down. God's calling you into ministry and you're worried what other people will think. That doesn't make sense. Why'd you go to college for this if you're just gonna go do ministry? Do you know what they pay in ministry? You're crazy. Or God's calling you to get out of that relationship. But then you wonder, am I gonna be alone? And you're letting the opinion of other people trump obedience to God. And you wonder why you can't see him. This man did not listen. Instead, he cried out all the more and it changed everything. We can't let other people sit on the throne of God. I uh, was thinking about back in my clubbing days. Um, um, you know there's a science behind why it's so dark in the club, right? Y'all are like, yeah, because I ain't hitting it, you know, in the, in the lights. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, actually, I low-key would, but, <laughs> but people are like, I wouldn't be acting the way I would if the lights weren't down. We gotta get the lights down in this place. And so we act a fool. People are taking shots. People are taking drinks. People are bumping and grinding and twerking and all these different things. And then the lights always inevitably come on. And we're like cockroaches, scram, we get out of there. <laughs> Why? Because suddenly that 10's looking like a five. <laughs> suddenly, I was a 10, I'm looking like a five. <laughs> we got bags under our eyes, sweaty everywhere, girls' hair sticking down. And we're like, oh Lord, get me to the car. <laughs> I want you to understand something. Nothing changed about you. The only thing changed is you were seen. The lights came on. And some of you tonight need to switch on the light in your mind and wake up and realize, I'm surrounded by miserable people doing the same thing every single week, in and week in, week out, all desperate, looking for affirmation. The job wasn't enough, so they're getting drunk, they're getting confident because they're drunk, and then they're looking for someone who accepted enough to hook up with them. They regret it the next morning, Maybe go to church if I'm not too tired. Rinse and repeat, and it's a miserable life. And you need to turn the lights on. And you need to put God back on the throne and choose obedience, not opinion. That's how you'll see him clearly. The last thing we see here, verse 49, the most powerful part of this whole thing. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want for me to do? What do you want me to do for you? 
And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The last thing that prohibits us from seeing Jesus clearly in our life is we believe that Jesus wants part of us, but not all of us. You believe that Jesus only wants part of you, not all of you, therefore you only see part of Jesus. When studying this, this part, I've read the story many times and I was searching out of all the gospels, which one do I wanna preach on? And it was this specific moment that just touched me and I found myself emotional reading it because I remembered my moment. Can you, can you understand the power of a powerful moment that we just read about. Can you imagine for this man, a blind beggar all of his life, and he has no hope, and then suddenly, the man who he had heard about, who performed miracles, who changed lives, who let the lame walk and the blind see, he's walking by, and he said, I can't see, but I'm choosing in faith to open up the eyes of my heart and believe that this is the Messiah, and if so, have mercy on me. And in faith, though everyone else was looking a different way in faith. He declared, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And something in him must have wondered what's gonna happen, because I can't see. And I know some of you right now, you're wondering with your relationship with God, I can't see what's gonna happen. And if you would just choose faith in going all in and giving all of yourself to Jesus, you will get the same response, I promise you. Because in the moment, though he couldn't see, he could hear, and what did he hear? Take heart. Some of you, the only thing you need to hear tonight is this point, it's the most simple, yet the most profound for your life if you would just believe it. God is telling you tonight through me, I am the crowd to you, telling you right now that Jesus sees you and he's saying to you specifically, take heart. I see it. I see the guilt the shame, the addiction, the secret sin that no one knows about. I see the pain, the brokenness, that moment where you think that I was the reason why your dad died of cancer. I see it and I'm telling you right now, though your heart is weary, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. And some of you tonight, the most courageous thing you can do is to get up and understand he's calling me, not part of you. He's not saying, hey, I want this part of you, but let's keep the abortion tucked away. That's, that's too much. Hey, I want this part of you, but hey, that secret sin of master, masturbation, don't, don't bring that over here, that's disgusting. I'm calling you, but hey, let's just keep this between, no. He is looking for people who will abandon themselves and unapologetically, unapologetically say, Jesus, Jesus, son of God, I need you. All of me needs all of you. Call me John Legend, I'm in. I want you. And his response was call him. He stopped in his tracks and Jesus, though he couldn't see Jesus, Jesus clearly saw him. And he said, call him. You might think, I can't see Jesus, where is he? I'm telling you, he sees you more clear than he ever has before. He sees why you're here right now. He sees what you're longing and looking for, and he's saying, come on, I want all of it. I want all of you. This really hits home for me because this is my story. I grew up a pastor's kid in that small town of Union Grove, Texas, and I was supposed to know all the things. If anyone had the clearest of you, the front row seats 
to see Jesus clearly, it was me, but something kept me from seeing him. After, after sexual abuse was done to me and many other things that sexually happened I was introduced to, I began a secret path filled of sexual confusion. And I thought, because I grew up in this church and I saw all these people who looked perfect, I thought that God called JD, but just the parts that made sense. JD, leave the confusion behind. Like, let's keep that under wraps. Christians aren't confused. Christians are perfect. Christians are put together. That's what I thought. God just wanted part of me, therefore I just gave part of me to God and only received part of him, resulting in me never clearly seeing him. And that's some of you tonight. And I'm telling you, the enemy shamed me and lied to me for a long time. And it wasn't until I got to the end of myself and I saw people stand up for the first time and declare their sin and boast in their weakness and say, hey, I was a slave to sexual sin. I was a slave to pornography. I was a slave to alcohol and hookups and all these different things. But Jesus, I remember that Jesus stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect life, and while I was a sinner, died for me, buried my sin in the grave, and rose again and claimed victory. So now I can have victory, and I can stand here and simply give him all of me because he's given all of himself to me. This changed everything. And once I heard that, guys, it was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking. It was revolutionary for me. That like, you mean that God wants all of me. Okay, so I came and like this man, Jesus said, what do you want? What do you want for me to heal? I'll heal it. What do you want to bring to me? If you surrender it, I've got you. And I wanted something that I think every single one of us wants deep down. I said, God, I just wanna be fully known and fully love, because I'm exhausted. I can't keep up this perfect preacher's kid act anymore. I'm exhausted, I wanna be known and loved, and it starts with you, God. Do you truly, fully want all of me? And he said yes. And tonight, some of you need to believe. Like this man, he left his cloak the moment he hear, heard that Jesus was calling him, he left his cloak. He didn't need it anymore. He left it behind. Like some of you need to leave your old past and your old life behind. And he sprang up and he ran to Jesus and his sight was restored immediately. And it says that he went on to follow Jesus on the way. A lot of people believe that the reason why they put that his name was Bartimaeus it's because they believe that he actually became a disciple of Jesus, that he got to walk intimately with him and continue to see him work in the lives of others. They believe that he was one of the early church planners when the church took off of the book of Acts. And it's because he went all in with Jesus. Therefore, he saw him more clear than ever before. He didn't need his physical right, sight to be restored because he saw everything he needed to see spiritually. And you can too. I started off this message with talking about how I think often, man, if, if I had known that I was with Cole Michelson from Vampire Diaries, how, what, what, was I an idiot that day? Like, what did I talk about? I'm retracing everything I said. I'm rethinking everything I asked. I'm just making sure like, okay, what did I, what did I, did I look a fool? And I, Oh, if only I knew I would have spent time with him differently. I would have asked more pointed questions. I would have learned more and really soaked up the time. But I missed it because I didn't see Nathan. 
I didn't truly understand who he was. And the reason why, and I wanna leave you with this, the reason why it's so important that you clearly see Jesus is because the Bible tells us that one day, though right now we are still not able to physically see him, we have the opportunity now to spiritually see him, but though we cannot physically see him, one day we are going to see him face to face. We are going to see him face to face. And here's my prayer for the young adults of today. Here's my prayer for myself. Here's why I don't want us to miss it. My fear is that one day, give it through death or through the return of Jesus. My fear is that we are gonna stand before him. We are gonna behold all that he is. And for the first time, we are gonna most clearly see him and we're gonna ask the question, why didn't I see it sooner? How did I miss it on earth? He was right there. Every Tuesday I heard of his goodness. Every Sunday churches were gathering. If only I knew that this was who he was, if only I had chosen to spiritually see him in my time on earth, everything would have been different. I would have spent my time differently. I would have had different kinds of relationships. I would have trusted his design for my sexual life. I would have done all these things different if only I had seen him, because this, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And the Bible tells us that one day, whether you want to or not, whether you believe in him or you don't, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And my prayer is that y'all choose today to not just see him as another man, but today to clearly see him as Lord and it will cause you to kneel today. My prayer is that you won't let opinions of man keep you from obedience to God today. My prayer is that you don't spend your life sheepishly approaching Jesus, but you say, hey, here's all of me, and you receive all of him today. And that when we come to that day, when we see him clearly and every knee bows, it's just another day for you because you started bowing today. That's my hope for us, is that the people at the porch are going, oh, I've been doing this. This is nothing new. This is who we are. Though I physically now behold him, I spiritually saw him today. Tonight, Jesus is calling you. I don't know where you're at or what your view is for him. I don't know how clear or unclear it is, but he's saying to every single one of us tonight, take heart, get up. I'm calling you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you called me in my sin, in my shame and in my brokenness. I thank you that I heard the call of to take heart and to see you as Lord. And I pray that if there's someone here tonight who, who can't see you at work, that they would hear you right now, call them by name, and they would get up, leave the cloak of their old life behind, leave their, their spiritual blindness 
behind and that you would restore tonight their sight spiritually. I don't know what's distorted their view, but tonight would we experience restoration. Anything that's distorted, would you restore it according to the power of your name, the work of your spirit? May we respond to you properly because we see you clearly. In your name that I pray, amen. Let's respond.